Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be answering the question, is John Hagee a false teacher? And my answer is yes. I think he's a wolf in wolf's clothing. And we're going to be talking about why and what exactly makes his views false teaching. Now, we're going to be centering on specifically what he's famous for, and that's his Christian Zionism. That is where we're going to highlight on false teaching for this video. Now, there is an entire article that we're going to be using for this, which also talks about his delvings into the prosperity gospel. But for this video, we're going to stick to the more interesting aspects about John Hagee, which would be what's more originally attributed to him, which is his views on eschatology and um, dispensationalism. So that's what we're going to focus on in this video. But I do want to say up front, um, these things in and of themselves don't make you a false teacher. We will talk about the nuances of what John Hagee teaches. And that will be what makes him a false teacher, not the fact that he's a dispensationalist or a Zionist. Two positions that I believe have no basis in scripture, but we're going to be talking about specifically where he takes it too far, where he goes too far that strays outside the bounds of orthodoxy. So we're going to get into that, but first I want to let you know, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. This video is brought to you by the supporters of our Patreon-like system at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. They requested and they voted on John Hagee to be the next person that I would research. And here we are. Thank you for those who help uh, finance this ministry and therefore also get to guide the research of this ministry. But um, the least you can do is like this video, subscribe to the channel, to the podcast if you are new. So we're going to be focusing on this article that I wrote. It's much longer than what we're going to cover. But we're going to cover specifically the Zionist portion. And it's mainly going to focus on this book written by John Hagee called Indefensive Israel, uh, the Bible's mandate for supporting the Jewish state. Now, again, if you look at the title alone, that's legalism, saying that the Bible has a mandate um, to support the Jewish state of Israel, the modern day Israel is legalism. You are adding to the law of God because that's not in the law of God. Um, so that alone is legalism. Now, not all legalism makes you a heretic. But you can see how we get there pretty quickly. Now, a uh, fun fact, I ordered the original print of this book. I, I didn't want the revised and updated edition, which is what I have. I wanted the original print version because, you know, that's the most reliable historical record, I, I would assume. But I didn't get that. The used bookstore on Amazon sent me the revised and used um, but it is signed by John Hagee himself. So there's your fun fact. But let's start off by watching the advertisement for this book. 
I'm delighted to present my latest book, In Defense of Israel. This book will expose the sins of the fathers and the vicious abuse of the Jewish people. In Defense of Israel will shape Christian theology. It scripturally proves that the Jewish people as a whole did not reject Jesus as Messiah. It will also prove that Jesus did not come to earth to be the Messiah. It will prove that there was a Calvary conspiracy between Rome, the high priest and Herod to execute Jesus as an insurrectionist too dangerous to live. Since Jesus refused by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered? Read it in this shocking expose in defense of Israel. This latest book by Pastor John Hagee is destined to generate lively discussions among Christians the world over. It's available in most U.S. bookstores or call the number on the screen and order your copy today. Call now or visit our website. Ask for offer B-139. So that is the advertisement and that is cringe and there's some heresy there. Let's just be honest about what it is we are looking or we were just listening to. Um, in the commercial for the defense of Israel, which we'll read the whole text and revisit in a second, John Hagee claims that the Jews did not reject Jesus. Jesus, uh, did not reject Jesus as Messiah because Jesus did not appear to them as Messiah. That this is repeatedly, um, uh, debunked throughout scripture, um, through scripture is untrue. Um, Jesus condemns the cities of Galilee, Matthew 11, for the rejection of Messiah in Luke 7. Jesus commends the centurion for having greater th faith than all of the in Israel. Moreover, uh, the Gospel of John places a large emphasis on the Jews trying to kill their Messiah for Jesus claiming to be God and also for pragmatic reasons. That's the prophecy of Caiaphas. That's the pragma pragmatism that you see in the Gospel of John. So, in defense of Israel. So, like I said, we're going to be referencing page numbers so you can verify what it is I'm saying about what it is he's teaching. I will read a couple of excerpts uh, as well. So John Hagee appeals, uh, details the appeal of Zionism in his book in defense of Israel. The book is one is, is as one would expect, but the book is filled with numerous historical inaccuracies that should have been flagged by an editor. Like this book should not have been allowed to have been printed. It should have been flagged by an editor for all the historical inaccuracies in this book. Like, it is insane how little this guy understands history. So, let's go through bullet points on some of the ones that I pointed out. These are the less nuanced ones. Uh, minus the one about... Uh, We'll talk about the Holocaust example later, I guess. So, John Chrysostom, um, the first to label Jews as Christ killers, is on page 20. Not true at all. Peter did that in the book of Acts uh, in, in his sermon. Uh, Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome. That's on page 19. This is seriously false like this is so false so easily debunked constantine legalized christianity he did not make it the official religion of rome that happened decades later this is such a lie should not have been allowed to have been published but again a lot of dispensationalist teachers say this but it's false 
Uh, on page 21, he conflates the Prince's Crusade with the People's Crusade. And that's a common uh, crusader myth. Gentile believers abandoned Jewish believers in Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's on pages 18 and 19. I, I honestly kind of want to read that one. Uh, but we'll read that one in a second. Uh, connecting Martin Luther to Adolf Hitler with r- zero recognition of the Bolsheviks. Again, this is someone who fundamentally does not understand the Holocaust or why it happened. Uh, you don't get the Holocaust without the Soviet Union. You don't get World War II really without the rise of the Soviet Union. Uh, Sigmund Freud is regarded as a celebrated figure on page 106. Jesus studied the Talmud. That's on page 100. Now, the Talmud, uh, Jesus predates the Talmud proper. But if he's just referring to the oral law, again, that that is such a bad claim because the Talmud came about after Christ. Jesus lived in what the Romans called Palestine. That's on page 165. This is another bad lie. Like, this is a lie. Because it is a common Zionist argument that the Romans renamed Judea Palestine because they were mad at the Jews. That is a common Zionist argument to bolster land claims. But... Here is John Hagee using this argument, and I'll get into why he uses that argument in a second, but he does the complete opposite and says the Romans called it Palestine. That's false. During Jesus' day, it was called Judea. Post-70 AD Jews lived, and this is a quote from the book, for the most part in papal states controlled by the Church of Rome. That's on page 181. Now, I flag this because I don't know whether John Hagee is referring to the actual papal states, which were, you know, these duchies and such that were under the control of the Pope. I don't know whether he's referring to the actual papal states or whether he's referring to, you know, Europe. But this is also false. Uh, You know, Eastern Europe would like a word and so would northern africa and the and the arab world would like a word so that's false uh and if he meant the actual papal states that's even worse so uh the perks of knowing too much history you know you're not sure how he's getting this wrong but he's wrong nonetheless so hagee seems to credit the split in Jewish and Gentile Christians um, due to Gentiles uh, leaving Jerusalem prior to or during the siege uh, led to this trust between Jews and Gentiles. This is especially bad logic as the Bible refutes this narrative entirely with numerous epistles uh, warning believers to leave Jerusalem because of the impending doom that Jesus warned about. So I'm going to read a section from the book here. More than one million Jews died during the Roman siege of Jerusalem. Most of them starved to death. The majority of the 97,000 Jews, uh, remaining 97,000 Jews, were taken back to Rome, 
where many were crucified on Roman crosses while their wives and children were forced to watch. Some were martyred in one of the many stadiums in Rome. 70,000 were enslaved and forced to build the Roman Colosseum. Many Gentile believers fled Jerusalem for the nearby city of Pela to escape the attack, while Jews remained behind. Why did the Gentiles leave? They had heard Jesus say that Jerusalem would be attacked, that there would be wars and rumors of wars, and he advised them to flee to the mountains. This is a reference to Matthew 24. When the Romans gave the Gentiles the option of leaving Jerusalem, they did exactly that. This physical separation of the two groups would prove to be a per- would prove to be permanent and would form the basis of the strained relationship between them. The Jews saw the Gentile exodus as a betrayal and the breach between the two groups was never repaired. This separation of Jews and Gentiles became official early in the 4th century when Emperor Constantine, when the Emperor Constantine Christianized, that's in quotes, the Roman Empire. In one day, with the swing of his pen, he made Rome's version of Christianity the official state religion, a religion full of idolatry because of pagan influence. It was known in history as the mother-child cult, and in ancient Israel as Baal worship, which was introduced by Jezebel. So then he goes on to argue that the Jews were too monotheistic uh, for the Romans. It's really bad. That is really bad reading of history. Jesus clearly instructs believers, and later on the apostles clearly instruct believers to get out of Jerusalem when you see the desolation. Um, So, with that said, uh, he just lied there about 8070 and the fact that, honestly, like 8070 is the reason why Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. Like, nothing else. Nothing happened before that. Nothing happened after that. And there... He also seems to be implying that Jewish believers stayed behind in Jerusalem, which would have been disobedient to the instructions of Christ. And from there, John Hagee laments the growing influence of Gentiles in the church, claiming that Christianity was meant to be a sect of Judaism. But as the church leaders became more Gentile, so too went the faith. John Hagee says numerous times that Judaism can exist without Christianity, but Christianity cannot exist without Judaism. Hagee is willfully unaware that modern Judaism is a newer religion than Christianity because of the development of the Talmud after 70 AD. In going along with this misconception about the continuity of Judaism, Hagee asserts that Jesus was the most Jewish Jew according to his understanding of post-70 A.D. Judaism, even claiming that Jesus studied the Talmud at age 15. The oral tradition was antithetical to the teachings of Jesus, and the Bible is quite clear that Jesus did not teach or adhere to the oral law. 
This is the whole thing about hand washing and stuff like that. There's other examples. Um, what he was doing on the Sabbath. The oral law Jesus violated. The written law, the law of God, Jesus not only did not violate, but fulfilled. So that's something that he completely gets wrong. Uh, moreover, Hagee tries to absolve the Jews of Christ's death, claiming with conjecture that Caiaphas did not represent the will of the Jewish people. This ignores several passages in Scripture, such as, but not limited to, John 5, 18, John 7, 1, Acts 2, 23, Hagee asserts that Caiaphas was acting in the interest of Herod Antipas, even though Herod found no guilt in Jesus. During this portion of the book, Hagee erroneously refers to the region as Palestine, to which it would be renamed by the Romans decades later, perhaps as a means of manipulating history to absolve his favored people group. So basically, he, re he says that um, the Ro Romans called the area Palestine during the days of Christ. He says that to make the situation more about Rome, he's trying to increase Rome's culpability in Jesus' death by making it seem like the Jews were more powerless in the situation than they actually are, even going so far as renaming the region that they were in against historical documentation. Where was I? Um, Hagee's argument appealed to the popularity of Jesus and the unwillingness to arrest Jesus in broad daylight, but disagrees with St. John, who ultimately conflates the will of Caiaphas with that of the Jews in his gospel account, and St. Peter, who tells the crowd at Pentecost that they were the scoffers of Christ. So, from here I want to go to his teachings on election, which are really strange and not fleshed out. John Hagee appears to teach that the Jews are the elect mentioned in Romans 9, implying that Israel, implying that Israel being a matter of election, not birth, coincides with the modern nation-state's broadened definition of what constitutes a Jew. Hagee incorrectly asserts that Romans 9 through 11 are a standalone thesis on ethnic Jews as opposed to a continued teaching from Romans 8 on the doctrine of election. John Hagee implicitly teaches that election is a matter of being Jewish, not being regenerate. This is on pages 50 through 51. This is false teaching, and again, this is what he implicitly teaches. And he doesn't flesh it out, and he says that he's not going to flesh it out. And he's a footnote saying that he fleshed it out in some other book that's also on eschatology. More than this book is on eschatology. This book is more on Zionism than eschatology. So now let's talk about the meat of his book. The main thrust of his book argues against so-called replacement theology. Um, this section is called Against Covenant Theology. He does not engage the actual premise that the church has not replaced Israel as God's people, but always was God's people. Hagee instead argues that disgruntled con Gentile converts conjured a theology to elevate their position in God's economy. 
That's on page 179. While stating that he does not believe in dual covenant theology, a theology that teaches both uh, teaches that both the old covenant applies to ethnic Jews and the new covenant applies to Gentiles, Hagee also argued that the old covenant has not been ended on page 146. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. The part not ending being the land promises, which is Genesis 15, which we'll talk more about. Ironically, John Hagee refers to the elect as spiritual Israel on page 179. And we're going to read page 179 as well, because this is a key passage in understanding John Hagee. This is, to me, the climax of his argument. So we're going to get back to that section because that's the climax of his argument. And that's where I think the false teaching really uh, becomes super self, self-evident. Hagee asserts that had modern Israel not been established in 1948, this is a direct quote, there would be a valid reason for every person to doubt that the word of God is true. That's on page 182. Logically, this would follow that for 1,900 years of Christianity, there was valid reason to doubt the word of God. That is such a bad argument, but that is what Hagee says, and that's his direct quote. Um, From there, Hagee employs several passages either about God's harvest at the end of days or prophesies the return from 70 years of exile and and apply them to modern Israel. He does not argue multiple fulfillments, instead relying on modern Israel's agricultural success as evidence. So if you remember the exile of the Jews in the Old Testament, part of that, part of the judgment in that situation was that they did not let this the land rest. They did not observe the land Sabbath. So when these prophecies are about the agricultural success of Israel's return from exile, it's in a reference to how they didn't let the land rest. And now the land is resting. So that's important to keep in mind. Uh, and he doesn't argue multiple fulfillments. I, You know, biblical prophecy can have multiple fulfillments. That's not what John Hagee argues, though. He does not argue, oh, the return from exile was also was fulfilled then. These prophecies about the return from exile were fulfilled then, but they're also being fulfilled now. That's not what he argues. He argues that these prophecies about the return from exile in the Old Testament are fulfilled now. They weren't fulfilled then because Israel didn't have control. That That's, um, that's the distinction. Perhaps a distinction after that the return from exile into the second temple 
Um, the Israelites weren't a sovereign nation, but even this is a misnomer. So it is a misnomer to say, oh, um, anything before that doesn't count because they weren't a sovereign nation. The Maccabean Revolt resulted in a sovereign Jewish nation state that lasted about a hundred years. A hundred years. We had um, the Hezmanian dynasty, uh, which lasted about a hundred years. They were at times a client state of Rome. And then at times they were a client state of Parthia. And because they chose to side with Parthia, uh, when Rome defeated Parthia in war, the Herodian dynasty took over, and that's where we get King Herod from. Fun fact. So, um, this aspect of history is dishonestly unmentioned in Hagee's In Defense of Israel. And I say this is dishonest because these events are commemorated every year by Jews. It's called Hanukkah. So, he should know about the Maccabean revolt and that it led to a sovereign Jewish nation state in the land of Judea. And somehow it's not the fulfillment of all these prophecies that he's talking about. So anyway, uh, that's just one example of history debunking, uh, dispensationalism. The reading of prophecy that has a strict demand for national sovereignty appears to be how Hagee, shoehorns his Zionist leanings into scripture. For instance, Hagee uses Romans overlordship to argue that Jesus in Matthew 24, um, to debunk a preterist view of prop of, of the prophecy of Jesus. Ironically, after chiding historic Christians for an allegorical reading of scripture, Hagee employs an allegorical reading of this generation in Matthew 24 verse 34. Instead of arguing that this, this verse applies to the all-powerful Roman Empire, that these passages, this passage applies to the all-powerful Roman Empire, Hagee attempts to make Hamas and Hezbollah the likely fulfillment of Matthew 24 verses 19 and 20 because the rockets take five minutes to reach Jerusalem. Needless to say that the Iron Dome has caused this to age poorly. So his argument was when Jesus says there won't be time to flee because it'll be too late. That couldn't have been about Rome. That's clearly about Hamas and the bottle rockets that they send across uh, the Gaza wall. That's clearly about bottle rockets that the Iron Dome intercepts majority of. Such a bad argument. And it's aged poorly. This book was written in like 2007. And as you can see, it does not age well. Um, Hagee argues that covenant theology teaches that the old covenant was replaced by the new covenant. The straw man fails to recognize the fulfillment of the old covenant and how the prophet Jeremiah said this would happen. Uh, Jeremiah 31 verses 31 and 32. Let's read that. Behold, days are coming, declares the war declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant, which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them declares the Lord. That's the Naz of 95 version, which is my preferred version on this channel. God already fulfilled the land promises made in Genesis 
Genesis 15, Hagee argues that the covenant, that covenant theologians teach that God broke this covenant or doesn't keep it. This logic would also dictate that God broke the covenant uh, with the exiles of the northern or southern kingdoms. Moreover, this covenant would again be broken with the siege of Jerusalem, 70 AD. Yet a survey of the Old Testament shows that the Old Testament the, the Old Covenant ended in those days. The references to Genesis 15 promises in the Old Testament was that God kept the promise, yet the disobedience of the people would cause them to lose that which God fulfilled. Jeremiah teaches that the Old Covenant was violated and looked to the New Covenant. Chronologically, the later authors of the Old Testament look back on the Old Covenant as being fulfilled by God and violated by the Israelites, and then prophesy of God establishing a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, which we referenced, Hosea 2.18, Ezekiel 16.60, Isaiah 42, verse 6, Isaiah 49, verse 8, and many more passages all prophesy of the new covenant not the return of the Genesis 15 covenant, which God had already fulfilled. Indeed, the Old Testament has a preterist view of God uh, of Genesis 15. So, there's some theology for you. Um, Hagee copes with this by citing passages about the coming Messiah and ignores the conditions of loving him and keeping his commandments in Deuteronomy 7, 9, to argue that God will keep his land, pro his land covenant with Abraham forever. So, in conclusion about this section, and then we'll do an overall conclusion about John Hagee. In conclusion, John Hagee teaches that God has two chosen people. That physical Israel is the Jews and spiritual Israel is the Christians. The climax of his argument is when he interprets Isaiah 40, verse 1. Relying on the King James Version, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. John Hagee tries to delineate between the two yees. There are, in fact, two, two groups of people in this verse. One group is being comforted, and the other is the comforter. Hagee teaches that this verse means that Christians are supposed to comfort the Jews until the millennial reign. So let's actually read that passage. Uh there are two Israels in Scripture. One is a physical Israel with a physical people and a physical Jerusalem and physical borders that are plainly defined in Scripture. Side note, the current nation-state of Israel does not have the borders of Israel that are defined in Scripture. Fun fact. There are also There is also the church, which with a spiritual people and a spiritual new Jerusalem, the church may have the blessings of physical Israel and the Jewish people, but it does not replace physical Israel in the economy of God. This, um, this is clearly seen in Isaiah 41, which states, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. KJV emphasis added. The question must be asked, who is the ye of this verse? It is it's plural, so it is not one person, it's the body of it is a body of people. My people is also plural. 
there are, in fact, two groups of people in this verse. One group is being comforted and the other is the comforter. Common logic would tell you that you cannot be the one who is, is being comforted and also be the comforter. The people being comforted in this verse are my people, which is physical Israel. The one doing the comforting, instructed to comfort ye, is the church. These two groups will merge together not one day sooner than the moment when the reigning Messiah literally comes down, comes to this physical city of Israel. Has the church comforted the Jewish people? History chronicles that the Crusades economically attacked Jews and robbed them of their last dime in the name of God. Uh, and then he goes on about that. The past, uh, I'll skip ahead. Um, the past has clearly proven that the church has not comforted physical Israel, the Jews, where Christianity set, where it, where is the Christianity that says, love thy neighbor as thyself? Where is the Christianity that says, love does its neighbor no ill? Where is the Christianity that follows the command of Christ to love one another as I have loved you? It is not the Jews and Judaism who have lost credibility. It is a loveless Christianity that has lost credibility. So again, this is John Hagee. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but he has a contempt for Christian history. He is a contempt for church leaders of the past, the early church fathers, the medieval reformers. And we'll get to that in a second. So John Hagee writes that these two groups will merge together not one day sooner than the moment when the reigning Messiah literally comes to the physical city of Jerusalem. In other words, we should not preach the gospel to the Jews because they will not convert until Christ returns or during tribulation. Um, and that's an eschatological nuance. This would explain why Hagee insists on that his events be non-conversionary. This is one reason, but this is probably the overarching reason is about comfort. In advertising the book, John Hagee said in defense of Israel will shake Christian theology. It scripturally proves that the Jewish peoples as a whole did not reject Jesus as Messiah. It will also prove that Jesus did not come to earth to be the Messiah will prove that there is there was a Calvary conspiracy between Rome, the high priest, and Herod to execute Jesus as an insurrectionist too dangerous to live. Since Jesus refused by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered? Read this shocking expose in defense of Israel. So that's how the book was advertised. Um, perhaps the signed revised and updated edition bought and used in and in fair condition for this research did not contain the arguments adv advertised by Hagee as they were removed for subsequent release. Hagee is indeed does not go so far in the book to argue that Jesus never offered himself to the Jews. He does not argue that it was a, he does however argue that it was a Roman and Herodian conspiracy to al that ultimately killed Christ against the narrative of scripture, which states that neither Pilate nor Herod found any guilt in Christ nor wanted to kill him. Hagee apparently maintains that both Jews, that both Jesus was popular among Jews and that the group that stopped liking Jesus because the Gentiles de-Judaized Christianity, ignoring the entirety of the book of Acts. Now, again, anyone who's read the book of Acts knows 
who was the number one persecutor of the Christian faith in the books of book of Acts, who gave Paul the most trouble wherever he went. Was it the Romans? No, there's a nice story. I believe it's Acts 22 where the synagogue leader that wants to go after Paul is beaten. And I don't know whether the Christians did that or whether the pagans did that for wasting time, but that allowed Paul to preach the gospel uh, and stay a little bit longer in Corinth. And we got to love that story. That's a happy ending to me. Um, so ultimately, uh, where, what are we? Uh, so indeed an overall interpretive method of John Hagee is not to find Christ in every passage, but to find Talmudic Jews in every passage. Hagee demonstrates a clear habit of interpreting Christ or God as Talmudic as Talmudic Jews, which is ultimately blasphemy. Ultimately, John Hagee teaches that Christians should establish and maintain a tributary relationship with the Jewish people. This thraldom that Hagee has established for himself means comforting the Jewish people by inflating their collective egos, egos and victim mentality. It entails not preaching the gospel to them, which while comforting is properly understood as hatred for their eternal condition. All while John Hagee views himself as better than those anti-Semitic Christian forefathers, Hagee hates Jews while worshiping them. He hates them more, in fact. So, dual covenant theology, just a little quick note on that. John Hagee has not escaped accusations of teaching dual covenant theology in the advertisement for this aforementioned book. What he says is certainly conducive to these accusations, though the book he denies these accusations, and in the press he has, he has had to deny these allegations also. The question of dual covenant theology might, in the end, be moot. So, final thoughts on John Hagee. To a large extent, John Hagee is the product of his upbringing. In his own book, he describes the tears of his father when modern Israel became a nation. That's on page 10. Was his father by any chance Jordan Peterson because that is so effeminate? Just reading that made me cringe so hard that your dad would cry over that. So anyway, um, dispensational premillennialism will not the view held by evangelical dark web is not considered heresy. I'm going to reiterate that. However, John Hagee's arguments for dispensationalism are made in bad faith. He has vilified heroes of the faith and conjured an unhistorical narrative to attribute malicious intent to them. He ultimately attributes the Holocaust to historic Christian teaching on covenant theology, unaware of the prominent threat of Judeo-Bolshevism. So rather than recognizing the rise of Nazism as a godless response to the threat of Bolshevism, John Hagee attempts to draw a straight line between Martin Luther and Hitler. We just celebrated Reformation yesterday, so this is pretty fitting, I think. Uh, most Americans also lack a proper understanding of history, though perhaps Hagee is old enough to precede the prominence of this narrative. But instead, the narrative that Hagee articulates is that the church did not get it right until 1945. How familiar is this line of thinking that the church did not get it right until... Such thinking is antithetical to the faith and incongruent with the love for the church. The Anabaptist hatred of Christendom is pervasive in American Christianity and an evident inspiration for John Hagee. Where John Hagee distinguishes himself is his entrepreneurial aspiration 
to build a ministry dedicated to placating Talmudic Jews in their idolatry and calling on all Christians to likewise comfort Jews claiming that with a misinterpretation of scripture that we have a moral obligation to do so. Such dedication would rightly be seen as worship and idolatry predicated on rather easy to identify lies about Christians and history. Based on his own advertisement for his book, John Hagee should be marked and avoided as a false teacher, but John Hagee underdelivers a justification for his own practice and refuses to engage fair criticism of his teachings. Hagee's subsequent dive into the teachings of the prosperity gospel is further evidence that he is indeed a false teacher. So final thoughts um, before I leave. I also want to say John Hagee does not attempt to interpret Romans 9 through 11. He just assumes these passages support his view. He doesn't engage other interpretations of those passages. He just assumes it doesn't actually go into it. And that is much of how he argues his case. It is a very bad book. Um, very cringeworthy read. And it, it's false teaching at the end of the day. So anyway, that's what I got to say about that. My name is Ray. This is Evangelical Dark Web. Hope you like this content. Don't forget to like on your way out. Have a blessed day. We will catch you on the next one.